catering is Jane Madrado, the pizza of the Fintech. And it's a real treat on our podcast to have Elisa Healy. Also, a man that loves his Now, next guest on the SCT podcast, the little introduction, Elisa Healy, how are you? Very well, thanks for having me. Well, you're getting a jam-packed week of cricket, of course, you're supporting your husband, Mitchell, but you're playing tomorrow, tell us about the game tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, uh, start out... We'll start back at our WNCL format, which is uh, the, our one-day competition um, here in Australia domestically. And, uh, yeah, captaining the New South Wales Breakers, so hopefully um, can put on a good show tomorrow. But, yeah, enjoying my week at the cricket as well. What about your growth since you started? Uh, I remember doing a story on you when you were very young. Uh, and the growth of women's cricket has been a tribute not only to your ability and the players around you, but it has, it's had a life form of its own. Yeah, it's. I think somebody mentioned this morning. This will be my tenth um, season for Australia, which was uh, a little bit scary to hear and talk about at the same time. But I've I've seen a dramatic amount of change over that time, especially at an international level and domestically as well, with players becoming more and more full time each year, which is really exciting. And obviously internationally, the um, you know the Australian team being full time for probably five or six years now and I think we're, we're starting to see the, the benefits of that and um, in some really good cricket and hopefully that flows down through the domestic competitions but the WBBL um, has been the real driver of the women's game in this um, in this country and we just see it go strength to strength every year and it's uh, it's exciting to be a part of. Part of the first interview I did with you is, look, I don't have a lot of strength but my memory is good. <laughs> you had a part-time job at KFC and <laughs> yep. you <laughs> yeah, all of those fell through, didn't they? It's, um, yeah, I was working at KFC after school and uh, studying marine biology and then all of a sudden I'm a full-time cricketer and uh, everything else sort of fell by the wayside, unfortunately. But, yeah, that, that's how much times have changed, that um, being full-time now means that there's less time for other things in your life. But, um, yeah, I'll, I'll end up back at uni one day, hopefully not at KFC, but I'll end up back back at uni, no doubt. Yeah, a customer. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, um Yeah, I think there's a lot of talk about the final and March 8 on International Women's Day down at the MCG, but we seem to forget that there's going to be a huge semi-final doubleheader here at the SCG a um, couple of days before that. So I, I know personally I'm incredibly excited. We don't get to play too much on the SCG anymore, um, apart from WBBL, which now that it's standalone, we don't get to play here at all. So from my point of view, this is... Is it feels like a home ground. This is where we've always wanted to play and to be able to, to play a, a T20 World Cup semi-final here, I think it's going to be incredibly exciting and hopefully we're there um, and that we can we can be a part of something really special. Uh, I know that the whole of Australia will, will really get behind their women's team and um, hopefully give us a lot of support. Beautiful place, isn't it? You can't take it for granted. You've been fortunate enough to play on it. Most of only ever get to look from the crowds and on television. Yeah, you're exactly right, and it's getting harder and harder to play games out here at the SCG. There's so many different sports now with the 
With the um, SFS um, being knocked down at the moment, the more and more sports are, are coming across to the SCG. So um, we're going to hang on to the name, the SCG, Sydney Cricket Ground, and make sure we can get as many games as we can here. But it's just a, such an iconic venue um, in Australia. Um, still with the old members stand and the ladies stand, I think, you know, you can't get more picturesque than that. So for me, you know, growing up here in Sydney, it was where you wanted to play. It's where you wanted to come and watch the games. And, and this is where, you know this pink test has really come alive and I think it's just um, a really great place to watch and play cricket. You've got an even extra sense of Well, it's it's obviously such a sad situation that we find ourselves in with the bushfires and obviously the drought beforehand. And the I guess the best thing about these things that happen is to see the country really rally together. And, you know, this pink test every single year, especially Jay McGrath Day on day three, you see the, the community here in Sydney and around Australia really get behind it and they really rally behind it and put their hands in their pockets and donate. And I, and I think we're about to see that. Um, throughout the bushfires it's obviously still um, on everyone's minds at the moment and everyone's hearts but um, to see the way that the Australians really rally and and bind together and support those that are in need is um, is fantastic and yeah that's what the McGrath Foundation's been doing for a long time and especially getting these breast care nurses out to rural areas that you know don't get as much attention as what we get here in the city so it's um they do a fantastic job and it's great to see that all the the, the uh, international sides that come here want to be a part of it and, and just see it as a really great event and obviously for a great cause. You're here today not, not so much as, as a cricketer, uh, but <laughs> your husband's out there bowling for Australia. He's, he's had a great summer. Yeah, he's done really well. I haven't watched a lot of him today, but uh, don't tell him that. But, yeah, he has. He's, he's going really well at the moment, obviously, after being pretty disappointed throughout that Ashes series about not getting um, not getting as much game time as what he would have liked. But, you know, he bounced back from that really well and... And um, took his learnings from that and then to come out here this summer and take as many wickets as he has and I guess stay on the park as well. It's something that he struggled with over his career. So it's it's nice to see him doing so well and it's nice for me to be able to be here and watch him as well. That doesn't happen often, does it? Uh, do you get to the club? Because they always have the traditional, I'm thinking about the men's cricket, the traditional uh, Santa Claus at Christmas. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's me every Christmas day, but... Normally I'm flying out Boxing Day evening to, to get back to training or whatever might be on. But um, this year I had a couple of weeks off around that time and was able to head down to Melbourne and watch the most of the, that Boxing Day test and to be here in Sydney as well. So it's um it's obviously a nice time. It's a nice family time. So for us two to be able to, to spend time together in that, obviously without our families is a bit of a shame. But at the same time, it's um it's nice to spend some time together. Yeah, to be together. Are you a nervous supporter or are you going? <laughs> it's good to say yeah, uh, I only get nervous watching him bat. I think he, he's improved a little over the last 12 months, so it's made me less nervous. He's getting himself into a better position now. But uh, when he's bowling, I, I don't I don't sort of mind too much. He just goes about his business. And for me, I just enjoy watching cricket. I'm such a fan of the game. And to be able to, you know, get access to some really great places to watch the game all around the world is um, is pretty unique. So I just enjoy it as a fan. <laughs> it's always good to watch. Yeah, well, what are you thought of the series? New Zealand number two in the world. It's been interesting. They haven't had things go the way of two. They've had injury. 
illness, but still underwhelming. Yeah, a little bit. I, I, I actually think they've been very unlucky at, at some points as well. I think you need a little bit of luck to go your way, especially in test cricket. And uh, I think they've been a little unlucky with a few balls that could have hit the stamps and haven't and, um, you know, a few controversial DRS decisions. But in saying that, I think Australia have played outstandingly well. Um, they're such a great side at the moment and hopefully this is a side that they can take on for the next few years um, all around the world and I think they're so adaptable. Um, they can play in, in a lot of different conditions so I think it's going to be really exciting to watch this test team go around over the next few years and it wouldn't surprise me if we're we're back up to number one or two in the world. I think India are obviously going to be hard to beat um, whenever you play against them whether it be here or at home so um, that'll be a tough one but I think we're definitely sort of sitting at number one or two at the moment and obviously the way that those rankings work the point system's all a little bit strange but um, yeah you'll see us back up there pretty quickly it'll be hard to get the KFC or do any study over the next six months it's a pretty heavy schedule you mentioned tomorrow and it just rolls on doesn't it all the way to the 2020 World Cup yeah well, I guess that's what's so exciting about um, women's cricket at the moment it's growing it's evolving and it, it means more games more more tours and and that's something, being 29, sort of at the later end of my career, you just want to be a part of all of that and, and make sure that you're, you're performing well whenever you can. So got a big tri-series against England and India um, first up leading into that World Cup and, and that's going to be a really great test for our side as to where we're at and how our T20 cricket's going against those two really world-class sides. So it's going to be good fun and obviously the World Cup's going to be really exciting to be a part of. They don't come around too often in our own backyard, so it's... Um, everyone sticking their hand up for selection. Great to be able to be a full-time cricketer as a woman <laughs> in the sense of Leicester Lake still has a bit of a joke about it. She missed the bus. She just, yep. just missed the bus. And she was an extraordinary cricketer. You played with her as well. Yeah, it's, um, I feel incredibly lucky to to been born when I was. I'm in the generation that's really... I guess seen as paving the way, but we're not really. We're just really riding on the coattails of of those the Stalakers, the Belinda Clarks, um, that have just sort of that had just stopped playing as I was coming through, and and they've done so much for us to be able to pave the way that uh, I guess where we are now, and um, you know being fully professional. So I would have loved to play in the eighties and nineties where it was less professional and beer drinking was still acceptable <laughs> the night before the game, but. Um, like I can't ask for too much more than travelling the world and getting paid for what I love to do. So it's um, there's worse jobs in the world. No, congratulations on what you're achieving <laughs> going forward. I, I just want to ask you one final question. Uh, in terms of history of this place, how, how much do you enjoy walking past the old stands, being a part of the dressing rooms and, and sort of firstly feeling the ghosts of the past? Yeah, it's it's a really special place and I think sometimes we potentially take it for granted a little bit. We train here so much and we're on the grounds here so much that I think we, we take it a little bit for granted how many memories have been made here and how special it is and I think it's only until you walk into the members pavilion or you walk into the change rooms that that really resonates with you that this is really special. Not many people get to get to do this job. Not many people get to be here as much as we are and I think... Um, you know it's a, it's such a special place and hopefully we can um, create some history of our own and and you know win that be in that semi-final and win that semi-final here in front of a really big crowd and um, you know make the whole of Sydney and the whole of the SCG members um, really proud. I think there's a big one about to be created but uh, one of my fondest memories would have to be a WNCL final 
probably would have been five or six years ago and Rachel Haynes made 150 not out to to seal the victory and um, that was probably one of my fondest memories of this ground and, and celebrating in the change rooms afterwards was incredibly special so hopefully we could make some more come February or uh, sorry early March um, this year and, and make our own special memories but um, that one that's definitely one that stands out. <laughs> no worries, thanks for having me. Uh, pretty well, uh, Tim. I always feel better when I'm here. Uh, I love the Sydney Cricket Ground, whether it's here at quarter to six in the morning or after a night, by my standards, of revelry. Um, 24 minutes past midnight. It's always exciting. And if you're on my own, it's even better because they're not going to have a conversation with Victor Trumper. I've mentioned it in all of our podcasts pretty much that we've done throughout the SCG. This is not a place you can take for granted. It would be profoundly sad for our state, our nation, and sporting culture if it was taken for granted. And it constantly needs to be defended. And I'm involved with Jeff Armstrong in writing a history of the Sydney Cricket Ground trustees. And we've been very fortunate over the past 100, the, the period of time since 1876, which by my humble reckoning is about 144 years. Um, the trustees have been leading people in the colony and then the state of New South Wales. One of them became Prime Minister, one of them became Governor General. We've had several premiers. It's been, and for this ground to run properly as part of the state running properly, what a dreadful thing it would be if the test match played here, something went wrong. It would be a terrible beginning of the year. And for the decades that the Rugby League Grand Final, the Rugby League Internationals were played here, we were the centre of attention from across the British Empire. Um, these are important parts of heritage that every trustee, however recently appointed, should remember. Often, I remember everyone's got a story to tell, whether you grew up in the city, whether you grew up in rural parts of New South Wales or other parts of the country, but... We used to come in on the Red Rattlers in the yeah. 70s and uh, we'd sit up, and I wasn't a member, and uh, being like five boys and a girl, and we'd sit up there in the box stand and it'd be in the shell or sugar-coated. But it has managed to maintain its sense of history, its sense of magic through the members in the Labor stand, and they have been sympathetic, the construction since. They have been, yeah. That was all part of the instructions to the architects at the different stages. I was there from the beginning to the end with the Trumper and almost to the end with the Noble and the Bradman and the instruction was this is a cricket ground. At the end of the day it has to remain a cricket ground. It's not going to be a stadium bowl, it's not going to be something generic. You need to know you're in the Sydney cricket ground. And you're right about it being special. You, you talk about where you came from in Guildford, that meet a great deal of you coming in by train each time. I used to come by bus from Putney near Ride. Three buses. At each time, it was special when you came to Drive Avenue and walked towards the entrance. Like you, I had to go into the outer. I wasn't a member or the son of a member. And it was... Um, if, you, if you don't feel something special when you come through the gates of the Sydney Cougar Ground, and that happens to me, but anyway, I know there's something wrong with me. Oh, and I feel exactly the same. And it was one of my uh, uh, childhood aspirations become a member and when I did become a member all those years ago it was such a, it was such a warm glow that I felt at the time. Do, do you remember the first time you came? Do you remember the first, yep. like those first days? I do because I've written about it. I, and in the 14th of November 1962, the second day of the match between New South Wales and the MCC, 
that's Richie Benno's side playing Ted Dexter's side. And I was blessed to turn up in the morning. Graham Thomas was dismissed for almost nothing. And then I watched Norm O'Neill and Bobby Simpson add 241 in about 180 minutes. Magnificent stroke play, not a single six, all along the ground. Careful placement, beautiful running between the wickets. And that's my memory of the first day. But I remember clearly coming in, we sat, I sat with a friend from Putney in the Bawongal, and just the sheer beauty of men in creams against green grass and the bob stand in the background. Uh, the hill further away, raucous, amazingly Australian. And every sensation of smell and touch and taste was fantastic. And you go forward, that's a bit over 50 years ago, and then 60 years since uh, you first came here. The moment, it's like, you cherry pick some of those textbook yep. moments that John Snow, the Wendy's and the English side, the mid-70s. You, you look through that era of the, the 80s, through the Steve Wars, 100 on the uh, that last, yep. last ball, and then you see Michael Clark, 300. Monkey gate with Andrew Thomas. So much has happened in that past 50 years. Yeah, and, and epic finishes. Mm. Through, we had a period there where the game would seem to finish in about the third last day over the fifth day. One of the reasons we should stay with the five day test. They were pulsating finishes. Oh, when, when the anniversary occurred of the, our visit here in 1962 with Toss Hodgson, who was also there that day, we of course didn't know each other at all. We put. That's correct. But a shore boy, unlike me, I was Putney Public and Fort Street, humble. Um, <laughs> we put on a lunch for all the surviving members of the New South Wales 11 we could find. And we had nine of them. It was just absolutely wonderful uh, to have the heroes, men who were beyond all reach, living gods when we saw them in 1962, 50 years on, as were we. And it was just a great privilege to be able to do that. Well, you had the same life in, in, uh, in public life uh, through the Rand government and the education minister for a number of years. So you've seen life from a few different angles. Uh, the magic of sport, the magic of that big day today, amidst the backdrop of the horror that's going on with bushfires and drought, sport is so important. It's a place like the FCB, it's so important, not only for those that are here, but for those that are listening and watching elsewhere. Yes, and that's true. I have no doubt at all the bushfire crews um, if they ever get any sort of break at all, one of the questions would be when they get back to base or back to the trucks, just any sort of relief, how's the test going? How many times have you been in a situation where you've asked the question or been asked the question, however distant you are from here? And I can assure you there were children with, with cricket ability in places like India and Pakistan growing up. They want, they want to play test cricket for their country and they want to do two things, or three things. They want to play at their home ground want to play at Lords, and they want to play here. And I found that when I went to India, watched a test match over five days at Bangalore, the Sydney cricket ground had enormous standing. Victor Trumper had more standing than he had in Australia. The cricket aficionados understand this, this is one of the world's great cricket grounds, and it's why it's one of the reasons we should always remain with a natural wicket and why test matches should be played over five days. It is remarkable, isn't it, when you go to the year, come along and pick it out of there, that you could be driving through Mumbai and see shanty towns with, they've all got the area so they can watch the cricket. It doesn't matter where you go, they're always got the cricket. And then just on the subject of how sport can lift people, I remember yep. doing a 50th anniversary special on the Invincibles and speaking to Bill yep. Johnston and Andy Johnson, 
they were telling me that when they were arriving at the ground in 1948, people were leaving because they couldn't get a seat, and it was just what it did to the English population, mm. who had been hammered by the Second World War still on rations. Yes. How can lift? And the Australian side went over with a container full of fruit in cans, spreading goodwill wherever they went. It was so important for the 48 side, and before then the services side, that played in the summer of the German surrender. It was an affirmation of life. And so many of those blokes had seen death. And you all know the story of Keith Miller. He could never exaggerate a moment in cricket with the word tragedy, because he'd lived through tragedy. And we've talked about cricket, but we can also talk about here as a barracks in two world wars, as a place, as a recruiting ground. Um, it was uh, very important. And throughout the Second World War, the uh, throughout the Second World War, um, the army uh, occupied the members' facilities. They had to leave them when there was a game on. It's quite interesting to imagine that. The main Noble and the members and the ladies stands having to be being occupied by officers and then moving out when there's a game on. It's amazing when you were talking on history, you wouldn't get a prouder Australian than yourself and, and your father, who, who, who came out from Italy uh, before the Second World War. But here he is bringing up his family, married an married Australian, but interned in the Second World War because of the fear uh, of that grouped a nation. Yeah, that's true. And it was very unfair to a large number of Italians and Germans that they were seen as enemy aliens when they were only children. At most, you know, early teenagers when they came to Australia. But they were of military age, and I don't think we should misunderstand the values of those who thought they needed to be taken out of any potential harm. Certainly there was no way in the world they were going to be able to get on a ship and go back to the fatherland or to Italy, and they didn't. Um, and, you know, my father made friends for a lifetime um, making charcoal at an enemy uh, aliens camp at Dunedoo. Uh, and he could tell fabulous stories of it, you know, there's, because so many of these Italians, they've got titles, there's counts and other titles, and they're being supervised. You love the re reversal of class relations. The man in charge was an Aborigine. This was completely wrong for these aristocrats, and it led to lots of pranks. And uh, you know, many, with the glow after with the passage of time, takes on an afterglow of nostalgia. Unfortunately, he didn't talk about it enough. But it was always interesting when occasionally he'd have a reverie, which could never be provoked. It would have to be something sp spontaneous. How much did that kind of uh, growing up, the son of your father, the son of your mother, how much did that shape who you have become? I would imagine, I, I can't answer that, but I would imagine it was those two influences plus your schools are really everything. And I'm fortunate enough to, have, I was there at the birth of television, but I wasn't a television child. We were limited in what we could see. So I, we spent all day outside. Either we might have a seven day bike race, we might have an epic reenactment of the Battle of Little Bighorn, um, or we might recapture uh, Benghazi that was the way we'd spend every day, with elaborate make-believe, uh, uniforms if we could get them. We built a wrestling ring in the backyard so we could emulate World Championship Wrestling. Not only the wrestlers and the costumes, but the commentator, and a commentator's expert. So it was the whole thing, everyone taking turns.
Well, the idea of the uh, Pink Day very much belongs to the trustees of the Cougar Ground and Jamie Barclay, the chief executive at the time, who got together with uh, Glenn McGrath. And everything flowed very quickly because of cooperation. Um, Jim Maxwell will tell you about uh, marathon cricket. It was pine, it was, happens in other parts of the world, but we got right behind that with the primary club. It now doesn't happen. Um, it, over the century, the cricket ground has been involved in a lot of testimonial matches, special fundraisers. Just in recent years, the Indian Ocean tsunami. We are customarily um, a place that raises money for Australia and for good causes. And it's, it's fascinating to look at how the Trust survived during the wars when there's almost no spectator sport. You've got to be smart. So in SCG number two, in the absence of cricket, there were dog shows which brought in people and revenue and kept the cricket ground going. Staying agile. And it's an event now, isn't it? It really is. And look, Melbourne, to their credit, had an event. I think when Adelaide holds the test match, it's an event. Yeah. Sydney, it's an event. It is. And a very large number of our members live in country New South Wales. We have a whole lot of members who live overseas, but it renewed just automatically as... If they are never going to come back, they remember that their father, grandfather, perhaps great-grandfather before them valued that membership. They put them down when they were young, well, when they were born. They've been members in since they were 10. They can't give it up, even though they're not going to come back to Australia. Um, that says something remarkable about this ground. Something also about this ground and the people that are around this ground. They don't like change. And as I get older, I like that too. I, I like the fact that Things mean more when they've been around. People mean more when they've been around. They've got more to say. That's true. And one of the joys, I can no longer do it, but sitting in the Members' Pavilion upstairs, there are people who only see themselves in the Members' Pavilion once a year. Whether the test is played in November or January, they are in the, approximately the same seats and they catch up with each other. They're otherwise strangers, but they have this Sydney cricket ground friendship. And that was true on the old hill. As anonymous as it appeared to be, it wasn't really. And I loved the, we loved putting in a sculpture of the great Yabba, um, Stephen Henry Gascoigne. It was, as Ray Robinson noted, the only spectator who stepped out of the chorus, the only one in the world who's recognised by a sculpture. And he attracted a following that sat near him on the fence near the, in front of the hill because he was so entertaining. And far from being raucous and causing... A disturbance. In fact, people went quiet so they could hear Yabba's interjections, which was sensational, classical, completely spontaneous, and his. You talk about things not changing. I wrote, when we opened the trumpet stand, I wrote a play, which was performed by the, uh, the actor studio, and we had an actor play 
Vic Trumper, another actor play Dally Messier, and they had those exact words. You know, there's the flicks are boob next door, there's planes flying overhead, you've got a stand named after you, uh, Vic. Everything's different, but look out there. It's still goddamn at the Sydney Cricket Ground. Yeah, and it still is now. And the thing is, your politics was, is, always will be left. Uh, you were for an egalitarian world. And this is a place, it doesn't matter whether you are the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, the barrister, or the wealthiest person in town. When you sit at this ground, you are just another supporter, another lover of the place. True. That's true, and it's also true of the members who are not an eastern suburbs elite. They are not an anywhere elite. They come from all over New South Wales. The one thing they have in common is patience, usually very good parents who put them down when they were young. But you sign up at 18 or so, just go in and make an application. By your early 30s, you'll be a member. And it really means something to you in a big way. And that is, um, when I've walked around um, the members on any occasion, I run into, as an identifier for the listeners, I run into members of the Labor Party in great numbers. It's not an elite, but there are people in government who think that. Just They think we're on a parallel with some of the great Sydney clubs. We're not. Um, you don't have to have any criteria other than patience uh, to become a member. Your finest memory of this place? It's, uh, I know it's a difficult question because I, I, I'm coming at you without any notice and it started back... If you're talking about a sporting event, a moment, moment, well, I think the moment was after we secured the future of international cricket here, when bad elements within Cricket New South Wales were trying to take it to Homebush, not even the cricket ground, an abomination, um, for the sake of so-called capacity, completely misunderstanding the character of cricket and everything we've spoken about, and we secured it. So I went out to the middle, went down on my knees and kiss the turf. The bull-eye turf. Yeah. Which the trustees from the early days, of, you know, you're reading the 19th century, uh, the trustees and the New South Wales Cricket Association had a delegation of about 10 scouring the south coast to find a substitute for bull-eye soil. They couldn't. They had to keep going back to bull-eye and thereabouts. It came out of the Balambi Colliery, to be precise, and the minutes of the ground record the price per tonne of this soil and really nothing beats it and it, for some reason it exists on the south coast of New South Wales. And uh, one of the real good things that's going to see out all of our lifetimes but there's a, a 90 year supply uh, thanks to you and others for uh, the FCG and the mighty bull life soil and that's why you see this characteristic on this ground it is so unique, so wonderful and it's always good to talk to you whether it's having a chat or in a podcast so thanks for joining me. Thank you Tim.